What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Powder and Loam podcast. I'm your host, Gil, and on today's episode, I've got Colin Child back with me to talk about some mountain bike buying advice. Also, if you haven't noticed, we've got a sweet new logo that is courtesy of my friend Ian Burbage. I'm super stoked on how it turned out, so I'll make sure to link his Instagram and his website in the show notes so that you guys can all check out some of his designs and some of his rad photos. Also, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to us on Instagram at Powder and Loam, and also to subscribe to the podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. Last but not least, in this podcast, we talk about quite a bit of stuff, so I'll make sure to throw links down in the show notes so that you guys can check up on anything that maybe you want to read up more on. Maybe you thought that was a cool product, so I'll make sure to have that in the show notes. So, Colin, you uh, you recently had a new bike day. Is that right? That's right. Had the infamous new bike day. It only comes around, well, if you're me, it comes around twice a year, <laughs> but uh, last couple of years. But yeah, no, had a new bike day recently. It was great. And... Which bike did you end up uh, going with this time? You know, I went with the new, the latest edition of the Pivot Switchblade. It's the 2020 model. Um, just came out, I think it was in February, if I remember right, and then was able to get my hands on one uh, just this month in April. Yeah, took a little longer to get here because I think you ordered it like the beginning of March, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it was beginning of March and then finally shipped and just got it. I've had it for two, three weeks now, so been a little bit, but nice. Yeah. So you had the old switchblade before that, and cool. which which was a great bike. I rode that bike on one of our rides, and it was a great bike. So what made you decide to sell the old one and go with a new one? You know, I think in the mountain bike world today, there's so many different options. There's so many bikes, there's so many styles, so many brands. And I loved my old Switchblade. It was the best bike I had ridden to that point. And I noticed that the new one, it just had enough new things about it that I was like, huh, I wonder if it's just my old bike, but with a few more tweaks, a few more things here and there. They did pretty much a total redesign of the switchblade shock, rear shock placement changed. Um, the Geo's a little different, made it a little bit slacker, a little bit longer, um, seat tube a little bit steeper. And so, you know, this the switchblade that I owned, the last edition of the switchblade, was such a killer bike. I just thought, well, this new one's just got to be that much better. So I went with that one. I went with Pivot Switchblade. I thought about, you know, kind of picking some other bikes, maybe trying something new. But man, if it's if it's not broken, don't fix it. Yeah, kind of. Even though it was a, a big redesign, it was, you were really in love with your Switchblade. And there were just a few things that could have maybe been better and they really refined those things into this second version of the switchblade so um 
I think for a lot of people out there, they're not as, I mean, most people don't have the time like you and I do to really get deep into a bike. Um, for those that don't know out there, Colin and I were both, uh, bike salesman at a shop and so it was kind of our job to learn about this stuff um so when you went to look for a new bike like what what are the things that you seek after in a bike that's a great question you know and i think being in bike sales you learned that bikes have personalities and you know, the goal is to help a customer kind of identify what kind of bike personality they are. You know, are they looking for a bike that's going to get them into shape? Are you looking for a bike that's going to help them get deeper into the wilderness, get on more trails? Are you getting them a bike that's going to let them, you know, reach their maximum potential as a mountain bike rider? It really comes down to identifying what your bike personality is or kind of what your bike riding style is. And you know, in my bike buying process, I had a pretty good idea of what my personality was. And, you know, every company has, you know, that 140 travel bike or that 130 travel bike or that 120 or 100. And so it's basically just kind of coming down to which brand kind of fits your personality as a rider. And I've been really happy with Pivot. You know, I think Pivot makes a phenomenal bicycle and based on everything that I've ridden pivot just fits my brand of cycling. Maybe I'm not the most extreme enduro guy. Maybe I'm not the most, you know, hardcore XC rider, but a pivot just dances with the way that I like to ride a bike. It just feels like it's the ultimate dance partner out on the trail and there's not a more fun bike for me to ride than a pivot. I think that that's a great, uh, great way of thinking about it is every brand kind of has its own personality and not even just in the, in the marketing sense, you know, but also the, how that bike rides, you know, you can get on a, a specialized bike and they're, they're different models and things like that, but they all kind of have that same, personality like you said and i think that that that's a that's a really good way of describing that for sure like you know if we look at salsa for example you know you can pretty much narrow down who the salsa rider is and like you said it's not purely based on marketing it's based on what that bike's designed to do people who gravitate towards salsa are looking for more of an adventure bike. They're looking for something they can throw some bags onto or that, you know, they can ride in their Midwest town on a dirt road. Whereas, you know, Pivot or Specialized or Ibis or Yeti, you know, you can kind of, you can get their flavors. You can kind of see which customers gravitate towards them. I think geography has a, plays in a lot to how a bike personality develops. You know, if you look at specialized, it's California. It's, you know, you have the coast, you have the mountains, you kind of have some midlands in between and they make bikes for that sort of terrain. Pivot makes bikes for, you know, Arizona, the desert, Flagstaff, Sedona, 
uh, Prescott, you know, these different kind of rougher areas, yet he's making bikes for, you know, kind of more above tree line. And so, you know, just from a, from a consumer view, you can kind of see these bike personalities. Like you said, it's not just in marketing, it's in what they're reflecting their brand as with the riders that they attract. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I've never heard it put that way, but I think that's a really good way of putting it. Um, and like you said, a huge part of, or the first step really in in deciding on which bike is right for you is deciding where you're going to ride that bike um, or how you're going to ride it. You know, um, for you, it was kind of a, you kind of want one bike that can do it all. You can go ride a, a pretty mellow trail and you're not huffing and puffing this big, huge downhill bike around, you know, when you go to the bike parks like Deer Valley, like what you usually go two, three times a year. And then, you know, there's other people like if you're a cross country racer or like you're those Nike kids in high school that you're just getting into racing. That's a totally different type of bike than the type of bike that you and I are going to buy because that's not really our scene. We're not XC guys, you know? Exactly. You know, and where you choose to ride really helps determine your bike personality. You know, we live here in Utah and man, we're so blessed to have so many different riding terrains, you know, just out of our back door, we have Alpine, we have you know, kind of lower middle elevation riding flow trails. A couple hours away, we have red rock, chunky, you know, drops, ledges, sand. And so, you know, in Utah, finding the perfect bike to fit your riding personality is hard because you have to take so many different things into consideration. You have to take into fact, you know, that you're going to be riding a green trail, you know, a green rated trail near your house. You also want to keep in mind, oh, wow, I go to Southern Utah a couple times a year. I go to Deer Valley. I ride the lifts. I need a bike that can kind of do it all. And, you know, it's really the hardest part about the bike buying process is determining what your bike personality is. Like you're saying, you know, is it a Nike kid? Is he looking to shave 16 seconds off of his lap time at his high school mountain bike race? Or are you trying to, you know beat that guy next door on Strava or are you trying to, you know, do the shuttle ride quicker or a flow trail at a lift accessed hill quicker, or maybe speed isn't your goal. Maybe you're just all about ride quality or you're all about price point, or there's all these different factors that kind of contribute to your bike personality. And, you know, I think, Thankfully, you know, being having worked in the bike industry a little bit, having kept up with it the best that I can, you can really begin to see that these bikes fit into individual niches within the bike market. And, you know, there's more bikes and bike companies than there are car companies, you know, and so uh, buying a bike is a very personal decision. I think sometimes we fall into the trap of, oh, it's specialized. It's got to be good. Oh, it's a track. It's got to be good. Oh, it's, you know, it's GT, that rider on pink bike rides a GT. I like him. 
And that's the marketing side of things, but really it's understanding there's a whole bunch of different personalities within mountain biking. Yeah. Like you said, there's a lot of people that are very familiar with the big brands like Trek, Specialized, Cannondale, um, and they all make great bikes. Both of us have owned some of those bikes or still own one of those brands, you know? Um, Yep, yep. And they're great bikes and... Like you said, everything's got a little bit different personality and you and I tend to gravitate a little bit more towards a pivot because one, that that style of bike is just a little bit more our flavor. Um, and to go deeper into kind of what sets those personalities, there's there's a lot of things like, um, like suspension design is a huge one for me, um, you know? There's a few different suspension designs. There's things like four bar or horse link, which is what Specialized uses, or um, I believe Norco uses that. Scott uses that on a few of their bikes. There's a single pivot design or a linkage single pivot, which is like Kona um, or Orange. Orange makes like pretty much true single pivot bikes. Um And then you have split pivot style bikes, which is what Trek makes. Um, And I think Transition used to. I don't know if Transition still makes any split pivot bikes. Um, And then you have what we like to call twin link or dual link or multi-link bikes, which is what Pivot, Santa Cruz, um, Yeti, and a couple other and intense, a few other companies make those, those style of bikes and they each have their own kind of inherent characteristics. Um, so what is it about, and obviously they can tune engineers can tune this stuff to be different, but generally speaking, they're all going to ride similar within their different suspension designs. So what is it about a, twin link or dual link bike that you really gravitate towards? Yeah. You know, I, for a time I had, I had a couple different intense demo bikes and intense runs, VPP suspension, the virtual pivot point. And I had a lot of fun on them. I thought they were a lot. I thought they were really playful, lively. The suspension was active. It felt good. And, you know, I had, I I rode an intense for several weeks, went on a lot of rides with them, was really convinced that, Hey, you know, this is a good bang for your buck bike. And then I hopped on DW link or, or, you know, what, what pivot uses Turner, uh, a few other bike companies and DW link Ibis, um, and DW link just did everything in my, this is my opinion. You know, this is just the way that this is my riding personality, my riding style it just flows. And, you know, I think flow is a term that you can kind of understand in the, you can visualize in the mountain bike world. It, it pedals better. You can leave the suspension wide open. You can pedal on it and you're not getting this pedal bob. You don't feel like you're fighting the suspension as much. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll give an example. Today, I went and rode this trail. It's kind of more of a backcountry trail, a little gnarly, not as well maintained. There'd been some cows that had walked up it in the fall. You know, their hoof prints got really into the trail. It's hardened. It's kind of rough. There's some loose rocks on top, overgrown. 
And, you know, this trail on a hardtail bike would have been miserable or, you know, even just on a regular full suspension bike it would have been miserable. But I was running my switchblade down it today and I was like dancing on it. I was having fun. I could feel the bike underneath me just being lively and active and moving. And this was on probably the most boring, harsh trail terrain you could find. And I, I think for me, DW link just ups the fun factor. It ups the, the feeling of kind of dancing with the terrain. It just allows you to have more fun with the terrain that you're presented with on the trail. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you. I think that the reason that I gravitated towards a, a, DW link or twin link bike is because of that pedal efficiency. Um, I mean, I feel like thing like bikes are generally closer in how they descend versus how they climb. And there's probably a bunch of people out there that don't really agree with that. But before this bike, I owned a specialized enduro and that was a that was an amazing bike. I think that it's it's definitely there's a reason that it sells so well. And but it descended great. The rear end was very good. You didn't feel any uh any difference in the suspension when you grab the brakes. That's a big thing with full suspension mountain bikes is when you apply the brake, the braking forces will screw with your with your suspension and they can make it stiffer and harsher and so you don't track as well but the way that specialized suspension is i didn't feel that it was great Um, especially coming from a single pivot design on my kona it felt way more plush coming downhill but my kona was this big huge heavy pig but because of the suspension design it did pedal uphill better and my pivot pedals even better. And that's just because of the the suspension design. Right. You know, and I think what's really funny too is in the mountain biking world, there's so much talk about downhill performance. There's so much talk about how does this bike do downhill? How fast was it able to go down this segment of the trail compared to the, you know, the, the next bike or whatever it might be. And obviously we ride mountain bikes to go downhill you know, at least in my riding personality. Right. You know, and there's, there's some people that are real uphill challengers. They'll do anything they can to shed weight on their bike. They want to be into about the climbs and, you know, but at least as far as mountain biking that we're interested in, it's about going downhill. It's about having that excitement of, you know, getting downhill as quickly and as safely and as with as much style as possible which and is the same reason that we ski essentially, you know, is exactly we go ski touring, not because we want to go hike up this hill, but because we really want to have that experience of coming back down the hill. It's the same concept with the bike. Exact same concept, you know, and there's so much emphasis on the downhill performance, which, you know, obviously that's the, that's why you're there. It's what you want. But I think, going uphill just gets so overlooked by some of these bike companies. And, you know, that's not to say that like you don't tune your bike to pedal uphill. If it's a 160 travel enduro bike, it's like, you're not, 
you're not tuning it for uphill performance. But, you know, I've really found a sweet spot with everything DW link that I've written that I, you know, like it or not, you're spending 80% of your riding time or more going uphill. You know, it's, it's all about going uphill in a lot of respects. My two hour ride, an hour and 30 minutes of it is going uphill or more. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's just, that's part of what gives each brand kind of its personality is how does it, how does that brand factor in that performance and how does their suspension design kind of highlight some of those, some of those things that you do on the trail? Um, I think that there's a, there's a reason that, that some of these bikes perform better in, uh, in like the downhill world cup. A lot of it has to do with the rider, but also you look at like the specialized gravity team and they're absolutely killing it. That's a super fast bike. And that's a, you know, that's a four bar design. Whereas like the pivot, uh, last year, I think Vital did a, uh, uh, they did a test with a bunch of downhill bikes and the, the dual link pivot got best park bike because it was a little more playful. It was a little more poppy. It didn't, it didn't maybe track as well and soak up the the bumps as well but it pumped better and it just it it pedaled a little bit better into those jumps and really shot off the the lip just that much better because of the suspension design so colin what's the second thing that you look for when you go to buy a bike that's a really good question you know the second thing that i look for is the value in the components on the bike. You know, what kind of group set is coming on the bike? What what kind of wheels are coming on the bike? What headset bearings? You know, I get I get pretty nitty-gritty. When you really think about it, a bike brand is just the frame manufacturer. You know, specialized makes the frame and then the grupo or the group set is Shimano or SRAM. Uh, headset bearings, you know, they might be Cane Creek, they might be, you know, FSA, the crank itself might be, you know, a SRAM crank or Shimano crank, uh, you know, especially is a little bit different because they have a few more in-house components. But, you know, let's take IBIS, for example, you know, really the only thing on an IBIS bike is the IBIS frame, um, you know, so I when I was looking make, for... Well, and and wheels and... I, they make bars too, but compared right, to specialized right. where on a specialized bike, you could end up with a specialized crank, grip, bar, stem, saddle, wheels, saddle, seat post. Um, there's a lot of, of proprietary stuff that's just specialized that you might find on their bike. And that's not to say that that's a bad thing because for a lot of people, that's great because they're doing all of this stuff in house. Their margins are bigger and they can offer you maybe better suspension or a better drivetrain for the same price as someone else. Because, you know, let's say, let's say Ibis or Santa Cruz, they had to source in a bunch of these other parts in order to complete that bike. Exactly. You know, and so really what you're looking for on a bike is you're looking for a value proposition. You know, in, in the case of my new switchblade, uh, you know, the 
the dropper post was a Fox factory transfer dropper post, which I have found is the best dropper post on the market, arguably. Um, you know, I found that they were using a race face effect crank. They had Reynolds. I got the Reynolds carbon wheels. If you didn't get the carbon wheel option on my bike, you got, you know, some DT Swiss wheels. There was a good value proposition for the price of the bike in the components that were reflected. Uh, you know, and, and you can get into some nice bikes and, you know, kind of find yourself with cheap headsets, bearings or a cheap, you know, cranks or whatever it might be. And so, no, you're right. Like specialized, there's some good value out of specialized because, you know, although they don't make the group set per se or the brakes or anything like that, they do make a lot of the other components. And so they're able to offer their in-house proprietary components and that, you know, usually overall lowers the price of the bike. Yeah. And, you know, you see, you see Trek do that. You see Santa Cruz with their wheels, Ibis with their wheels. Um, you know, you see these bike companies go, Hey, you know what? We can make our bikes more affordable by making our own components. Yeah. And, you know, one of the biggest things that, that you see on bikes is suspension. Um, that's a huge thing that I look for because again, each suspension brand kind of has its own personality, just like each frame manufacturer has its own personality. Definitely. Um, and I've owned bikes with rock shocks and I've owned bikes with Fox and not to say that one is far and away better than the other, but they just have their different personalities and, I get along a little bit better with some of the Fox components, but like, you know, our friend Ian, he owns uh, a Kona, which is an awesome bike. And it's got a lot of RockShox components on it. He loves it. It fits his style really well. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, no. it's again, it's just a, a personality thing. And that's one thing that I really loved with my bike is I could get, a frame with factory level suspension that was going to be, you know, top of the line, had all of the adjustments that I wanted in a in a suspension, but I could get that on a frame that the components on it were XT instead of XTR. So they weren't top of the line components, but I cared more about having better suspension than I did about having the, the top end shifting components and other brands do it a little different. Some brands will give you higher level shifting components and not as high on the, um, on the suspension, like transitions, a huge example of that. They don't put, uh, the Fox factory suspension on really any of their stuff. They put the performance elite, which is more or less the same. It's just black instead of gold. And then they upgrade the rest of the stuff. And so that's one thing that is a differentiating, a differentiating factor for me is what suspension comes on this bike. Is it high, high end suspension? Is it bottom of the barrel suspension? So they can give you a better drivetrain. You know, those are trade-offs that you're going to see unless you're buying an eight to $10,000 bike. Definitely. And that, that, you know, that you just reminded me of something, you know, I, one thing that was really valuable for me 
in my kind of bike personality development process, it just made that sound scientific, um, is, you know, I, I went to a, a bike demo. I went to Outer Bike in Moab and, you know, I was able to try 10 bikes in a day and I pretty much rode the same loop every time. I was able to get a really good feel for, okay, this, you know, RockShox Yari fork feels like this, this Fox, you know, rhythm fork feels like that. And, you know, I was able to kind of build up in my mind what the performance of these different components were and make, you know, subtle comparisons to them. You know, for your average everyday, you know, coming off the street looking to buy their first mountain bike, they, there's no way they're going to feel the difference between a Fox factory fork and, you know, a Fox rhythm fork. You know, they're just gonna be like, yeah. wow, this this mountain bike works, you know, wow, it, this isn't, you know, I don't feel like I'm going to get thrown off of it. It's stable. You know, there's modern biking geometry. Those things are going to stand out more to your, you know, app, to your entry level consumer. Um, yeah, definitely. But no, if you're looking for, you know, a $3,000 and up bike, I think it's worth, you know, it might cost you 600 bucks to go to a bike demo by the time you pay entry, hotel, travel. But I think that's the best $600 you can spend because you're really going to be able to help determine what your bike personality is. Instead of saying, oh, my neighbor's got a Santa Cruz. I ought to get me one of those. Go to a bike demo. Figure out, man, am I a suspension guy? Does suspension matter to me? Or does shift quality matter to me? Or brakes, you know, does the or- does the frame matter? Exactly. Brakes or you know, whatever it is, finding that second, you know level of buying a bike, finding that value and whatever you're looking for on a frame is, is crucial to me. Yeah. We probably should have even started this off by saying, first thing, go to a demo because if you can try it before you buy it, you've already saved yourself, you know, any regret of buying one bike versus the other, you know? Um, and when you get, when you've ridden quite a few bikes, it's easier to look at stuff and say, yeah, I know that that's what I'd want. Like when I bought, when I bought my bike and same thing happened to you when you bought your bike, it was, you looked at the spec sheet and you said, yes, yes, yes. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I'll take that one. There were no I bought my bike two weeks after it was released. You did the same. There was no chance to possibly demo that bike. But, you know, if you've demoed quite a few bikes and you know the characteristics or certain properties that you're looking for, then it's a lot easier to make that decision. But definitely go ride as many bikes as you can. You know, Um, most shops will put that money towards a new bike anyway. If you're demoing from a shop, if you're going to like a big demo, some you might have to pay a bunch of money like uh, like Outer Bike. But in the end, a couple hundred bucks to save yourself buyer's remorse is well worth it. So worth it. You know, and that that's probably the third, you know, if I just say the third thing I was looking for is just educate yourself as much as possible about bikes. You know, I think with YouTube, there's so many bike reviews. There's so many different sources of information and reviews and, you know, kind of industry trends, things like that. Just get educated. 
you know, the last thing you want to do is spend $3,000 on something that just sits in your garage because you're not happy with it. Figure out, you know, a $3,000 bike from Kona might make you happier than a $3,000 bike from Specialized. And what that comes down to is just educating yourself, trying as much as you can, and just, you know, learning as much as possible about what's going on in the bike world. Yeah. And I think to go along with that, um, and maybe this is even our fourth point is look at what shops are around you. You know, if you maybe you're really set on a Santa Cruz, but the Santa Cruz, the nearest Santa Cruz dealer is three hours away. You know, do you really want to drive three hours down the road to warranty your bearings and get new bearings because now they have lifetime bearing replacement? Or do you, would you rather have the shop that's close to you? Maybe there's a, maybe there's a Trek and Ibis dealer close to you and you're like, well, what do they have that's similar to that bike? And you go, you go demo it and you're like, you know what? This is pretty sweet. This shop is close. I know they'll take care of me. Um, then, then take your money there, you know? Totally. That is such a good point. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how many bike shops there are, you know, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a big skier. Uh, you know, we both are, we both enjoy snow sports and their various forms. And, you know, there's a handful of really good ski shops in the West. But when you look at bike shops, there's dozens of bike shops, you know, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, at least the West, Idaho, where we live. There's dozens of bike shops. You go to, you know, we're in a town of about 100,000 people and we have what, five bike shops? Like just thinking off the top of my head, you know, like there's each bike shop fills its own bike personalities as well. Um, you know, there's a, there's some shops in Salt Lake City that cater more to a higher end, you know, clientele. There's shops that cater to more of the bike packing crowd or more of the family crowd. You know, and it's all about finding that local shop. Like you said, you know, there's no reason to drive three hours to ride a Santa Cruz when there might be a Trek dealer nearby. And that, that's not to say that, you know, you shouldn't try the Santa Cruz and you shouldn't try and find the bike that's best for you. But there's so much to be said about finding the right shop. And it's just finding, another thing to factor into your buying decision. Exactly. You know, and finding a shop that really understands the brand. You know, I... I, I, we worked at kind of a bigger bike shop and, you know, we sold bikes at that bike shop that were really easy to sell to people. It's easy to sell somebody a Specialized. It's easy to sell somebody a Trek. They offer so many different values and so many different packages and styles of bikes that it's easy to carry those brands. But if you're looking at buying an Orange or, you know, a Kona or you know, maybe a bike that a Yeti, maybe a, or a salsa, maybe a bike that's a little bit different. Turner comes to mind. You want to find the shop that really understands the brand and, you know, go, for example, there's a shop here in Logan that carries just Santa Cruz. They carry a couple other brands as well, but it's like, you know what? They carry Santa Cruz. They sell a lot of Santa Cruz and odds are the people that work there understand Santa Cruz. So you're going to yeah. get a better bike buying experience from somebody who Santa Cruz is their main brand than a shop that's got 80 brands under the same roof 
And they're just kind of like, yeah, that's a cool bike, but they can't really get into why you want to ride a particular brand. Yeah. It's, it's just like a car, you know, if you have a Ford and you take it to the Ford dealership, they're probably going to have some of those specific parts that you need to go on that car. But if you have a Ford and you take it to the Dodge dealership, you're probably not going to get, you know, all those, all those specific parts. You could probably pick up like a battery. You could get an oil change and you get some basic service like that done, but you're not going to get the Dodge dealership to be like, I don't replace a door or work on your specific electrical to the point that a Ford dealership would. It's the same thing with a bike. Totally. You know, especially, you know, we have a little bit more insight into specialized Trek, um, Cannondale, Scott, you know, these brands really set their dealers up for success they give them access to, like you said, the parts, the tech, the knowledge, the the explanations of the technology. There's so much to be said for going to a Trek authorized dealer or a specialized authorized dealer because they're just able to take care of you better. They understand the technology better. And it's yeah. like owning a specialized and having a brain shock, you know, or a Trek and, you know, taking in their new what is it? The super caliber shock or, yeah, yeah. you know, Yeti with their particular sh- suspension infinity. design. What is it? Infinity, infinity link. And, you know, you know, like, like you said, I can get on the phone with a guy from specialized in five minutes. And if I can't diagnose it, chances are he can't. Or like you said, with the brain, that's a very proprietary shock technology just for specialized. And we're a specialized dealer and I can go grab a loaner shock off the shelf and swap you out so you can at least get riding. You know, if you went to someone else, they're not going to have that capability. So that's one with what your local bike shop sells is a big factor in purchasing. And to go along with that and back to the value thing, um, I don't think we can do this without talking about direct-to-consumer brands because brands like Canyon, YT, and Intense are, are you know, it's another bike brand and they make great product, but, and they're an excellent value. You're going to get the same bike for cheaper from them than you are from Trek, Specialized, Giant, Pivot, Santa Cruz, any of them, because they're taking out that middleman. But one of the things that you lose with a direct-to-consumer brand is that ability to walk into a shop and have that service done, you know, by someone who really knows that bike. You know, and not only that, but, you know, I look at the direct-to-consumer brands and their websites are good. You know, you get on Canyon's website, you get on YT's website, and they really have good content. They have a good explanation of what their bike is. And, you know, they definitely serve a niche in the market. And I'm all for the competition. I think YT puts the heat on specialized Trek, you know, all these bike brands to really up their game. And I think it especially puts heat on bike shops to up their game. But 
there's so much to be said about the buying experience of a bike at a shop. And especially when you find a sales associate that understands a bike, when you're able to find that shop and get that knowledge, you know, if I'm looking for a Firebird 2.9 and I run into you, it's like, I just hit the jackpot. I have now a wealth of knowledge from somebody who's ridden this bike for countless hours who spent dozens of hours servicing it, taking care of it, washing it. And there's just, if you're able to find the right shop, the right sales associate, the right mechanics, it makes all the difference in mountain biking. Because mountain biking can be a very stressful sport if you're hard on stuff or you get a lemon. There's lemon bikes. There's bikes that just have problems, just like cars, just like motorcycles, snowblowers, lawnmowers, whatever it is. There's just some lemons out there. And it's nice to be able to walk into a shop and say, hey, take care of my problem, especially with e-bikes. Or Definitely. E-bikes are a huge one there. Man, I couldn't imagine, you know, I got an e-bike for my dad a couple of years ago and it had, it was brand new. It was specialized first run of their Levo e-bike. And there was just some tech problems with it. There were some battery problems, motor problems. I couldn't imagine buying that bike online and just feeling helpless, being like, man, I just dropped $5,000 on this bike and I have nowhere to take it. I have nothing have to do no with it. no one to talk to. No one, you know, and even YT and Canyon, they can have the best customer service in the world. You can send them videos, but odds are you're not a bike tech expert. You're not a bike mechanic. You're not an electrician. You're not a computer programmer. The odds are you don't have that knowledge. Yeah. You but need to be even, able to set that bike down in front of an expert and say, please fix it, you know? And right. I think that that's a, that's a big thing with direct-to-consumer brands is if you want to go that route, you probably should be a pretty good home mechanic. If I bought a YT, for instance, I don't have... I don't think I'd have any problems with it. They don't have any weird suspension technology. I can service the suspension. I can service the brakes and the drivetrain. I can set it up so I know it's going to run good. But if it's your first mountain bike or you don't, you're not a very mechanically inclined person, that's not going to be the same experience for you. And yeah, you saved three to six hundred dollars, but that three to $600 just gave you a worse experience than if you went into a bike shop and had someone properly fit you, had someone really help you figure out what bike that you want, and then just having that support backing you so you can walk in there and be like, what what the heck's going on with this or that? Or my is my seat height right? Does Is this supposed to feel like that? If you walk into a shop and you just bought your brand new Ibis from that shop, they're going to be way more willing to help you than if you walk in there with a canyon and then you're like, what about this? What about that? What about that? And they're not going to really, they're not going to want to help you out as much as some others because they're not making, they didn't make any money off of you until I have to sit down and actually do a real service on that bike. Definitely. You know, and I, like I said, I, I don't want to rag on direct-to-consumer bikes because I think competition's good. I think it drives down prices. I think it helps the bike industry as a whole. And they're solid but bikes. It, and they're solid bikes. You know, I mean, there's really not a dud. I'm sure there is. Sure there is. But what comes to my mind right off the bat between YT, Canyon, Intense, 
you know, there's th- those aren't dud bikes. Those are good bicycles. They have good components. They have good builds. They have uh, World Cup level teams too. You know, they're they they're world, obviously very right. proven bikes. Right. And so, you know, I mean, if you're looking at a direct-to-consumer bike, there's nothing to really fear if, like you said, this isn't your first bike, this isn't, you know, this isn't the first time you've had to change a chain or the first time you've had to adjust a seat height or set suspension. You know, it it's different. It, it's, man, it, it's hard. It's hard to say. I, I personally, I've never done a direct-to-consumer bike, but... You know, I have a hard time not being able to walk into a shop and get the help that I need. We're coming to the end of the podcast, but Colin, what are some last bits of advice that you want to to leave the listeners with? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think kind of to go back to the first thing we talked about and your biking personality, I think before you buy a bike, it's really important that you understand what kind of biker you are or want to become. I remember once I went to a bike demo and I rode the Cannondale Slate, which is a gravel bike. It's a drop bar bike with, you know, like a two inch tire on it. And it has like 60 mils of front suspension. And I remember riding that bike on a local trail that I rode my mountain bike on and going, wow, this bike is perfect for this trail. This is a lot of fun. And that made me totally rethink the whole suspension game in mountain biking. I thought to myself, well, maybe I don't need a 160 travel bike. Maybe I don't need a big enduro bike. Maybe I don't need that specialized enduro to ride my trails. And so, you know, I I think it's good to have a rethink and find out what bike really fits your style, being honest with yourself and saying, you know what? I'm actually a cross-country rider. I should get a cross-country bike. I'm all about getting my heart rate up for a sustained period of time. I'm all about doing, you know, these certain things. I should get a bike that's going to fit my strengths or my weaknesses. I think it's just being honest with yourself and saying, hey, you know what? This is the best bike for me. I don't want to do myself a disservice. I saw a lot of people come in when I worked in the you know bike sales and they would say, you know what? I got, I'm riding this trail, this green trail, and I need a big travel bike. And it was kind of like, whoa, you know, maybe you would benefit from some lower travel, or maybe you'd benefit from, you know, a nicer set of a uh, nicer wheel set or things like that. So my my final parting words of wisdom is buy a bike that is gonna get you to where you either want to be or what's gonna help you be the best biker that you already are. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Kind of to go along with that, throw in that random wildcard bike. If you're demoing a few different bikes, just just go for it. Throw in something totally different because who knows, you might you might like it. Uh, same thing happened to me. I tried a short travel bike and it was pretty dang awesome. Um, so yeah, shake things up a little bit. And... To, to finish the podcast, um, what are three pieces of gear that you've been using lately that have either made your life easier or you're just absolutely in love with? Um, you know, I think the 
<laughs> this one's kind of funny, but long sleeve bike jerseys. I love them. Okay. Uh, it's just, it's just, you know, I don't know if that's really the gear we're talking about, but yeah, it's totally, it's so nice to just have long sleeves. If you're out in the sun all day, you can have some sun protection. If you're kind of riding through a trail, it's kind of overgrown. You just kind of have a little bit more skin protection. It, you know, it gets colder on the descent than the uphill. You just kind of roll your sleeves down. And I've just found myself to be so much more comfortable in long sleeves, even in the heat. You know, if it's really hot summer, July day, yeah, I'm wearing a short sleeve. But by and large, I'm wearing long sleeves. I want more long sleeves. Okay. I'm all about long sleeves. Um, second piece of gear is when you buy that new mountain bike or if you already have a good mountain bike, get a good shock pump. There's nothing worse than like a cheap $10, $15 shock pump that the pressure doesn't read right or the thing falls apart or it takes two or three times as much effort to get any kind of pressure into your shock. You know, I'm not saying you need to go out there and buy a $60 shock pump, but just get one that works. Get one that threads onto your shock right. It just makes your life so much easier. That's a solid and, bit of advice. I'll actually... Enduro, Enduro Mag did a shock pump shootout, and I'll try and link that down in the show notes. You know, and then I think the third piece of gear I don't really have yet, but I'm trying to create... Um, you know, in my backcountry skiing... I have just like a little stuff sack. I think it's a half liter stuff sack and it has a bunch of essentials in it for backcountry skiing. I have some like glide wax for my skins. If they get gloopy in the snow, I have a pocket knife. I have some fire starting stuff. I have like a, a bandana and some ski straps and I'm trying to come up with something for a mountain bike. I've, you know, you showed me a couple of weeks ago, those wolf tooth mini dry roll, bags. They're essentially just a little mini uh, dry bag that rolls up and mounts onto your bike. And I'm currently in the process of trying to design a little bag that has, you know, my spare tube, my multi-tool, but it also has a few more just little key survival things, I guess I could say. Um, you know, so not tech that I'm using currently, but just something that I'm thinking about more as I get deeper and deeper into mountain biking, into more gnarly trails, deeper into the woods, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? It probably wouldn't be a bad idea to have a little piece of survival gear with me. Sweet. So everybody, that is a wrap for us. Um, I hope that you learned more about the bike buying experience and what you should look for or how you should even just approach it. Um, Thanks again to Colin for coming on the show with me um, and we'll catch you on the next one.